Welcome to Episode 3 of Short Story Today. My name is John DeSavino, and I'll be your host for the podcast, where we celebrate the short story and the authors who write them. This episode is a bit of a one-off. It's the continuation of the story introduced in Episode 2, The Yellow Wallpaper, by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. If you haven't listened to Part 1, I highly recommend you download that one first, because there are going to be spoilers here you may want to avoid. If you're returning for Part 2, thank you for following the podcast. I'm going to jump right into the reading of Part 2 now and save some space at the end for a few thoughts and observations. So without further ado, here is The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, Part 2. Life is very much more exciting now than it used to be. You see, I have something more to expect, to look forward to, to watch. I really do eat better, and am more quiet than I was. John is so pleased to see me improve. He laughed a little the other day, and said I seemed to be flourishing in spite of my wallpaper. I turned it off with a laugh. I had no intention of telling him it was because of the wallpaper. He would make fun of me. He might even want to take me away. I don't want to leave now until I have found it out. There is a week more, and I think that will be enough. I'm feeling so much better. I don't sleep much at night, for it is so interesting to watch developments. But I sleep a good deal during the daytime. In the daytime it is tiresome and perplexing. There are always new shoots on the fungus, and new shades of yellow all over it. I cannot keep count of them, though I have tried conscientiously. It is the strangest yellow, that wallpaper. It makes me think of all the yellow things I ever saw, not beautiful ones like buttercups, but old, foul, bad yellow things. But there is something else about that paper. The smell. I noticed it the moment we came into the room, but with so much air and sun it was not bad. Now we have had a week of fog and rain, and whether the windows are open or not, the smell is here. It creeps all over the house. I find it hovering in the dining-room, skulking in the parlour, hiding in the hall, lying in wait for me on the stairs. It gets into my hair. Even when I go to ride, if I turn my head suddenly and surprise it, there is that smell. Such a peculiar odour, too. I have spent hours in trying to analyse it, to find what it smelled like. It is not bad at first, and very gentle, but quite the subtlest, most enduring odour I ever met. In this damp weather it is awful. I wake up in the night and find it hanging over me. It used to disturb me at first. I thought seriously of burning the house to reach the smell. But now I am used to it. The only thing I can think of that it is like is the color of the paper, a yellow smell. There is a very funny mark on this wall, low down, near the mop board, a streak that runs round the room. It goes behind every piece of furniture except the bed, a long, straight, even smooch, as if it had been rubbed over and over. I wonder how it was done and who did it, and what they did it for. Round and round and round, round and round and round. It makes me dizzy. I really have discovered something at last. Through watching so much at night, when it changes so, I have finally found out the front pattern does move, and no wonder the woman behind shakes it. 
Sometimes I think there are a great many women behind, and sometimes only one, and she crawls around fast, and her crawling shakes it all over. Then in the very bright spots she keeps still, and in the very shady spots she just takes hold of the bars and shakes them hard. And she is all the time trying to climb through, but nobody could climb through that pattern. It strangles so. I think that is why it has so many heads. They get through, and then the pattern strangles them off and turns them upside down and makes their eyes white. If those heads were covered or taken off, it would not be half so bad. I think that woman gets out in the daytime, and I'll tell you why, privately. I've seen her. I can see her out of every one of my windows. It is the same woman I know, for she is always creeping, and most women do not creep by daylight. I see her in that long shaded lane, creeping up and down. I see her in those dark grape arbors, creeping all around the garden. I see her on that long road under the trees, creeping along, and when a carriage comes, she hides under the blackberry vines. I don't blame her a bit. It must be very humiliating to be caught creeping by daylight. I always lock the door when I creep by daylight. I can't do it at night, for I know John would suspect something at once. And John is so queer now that I don't want to irritate him. I wish he would take another room. Besides, I don't want anybody to get that woman out at night but myself. I often wonder if I could see her out of all the windows at once. But turn as fast as I can, I can only see out of one at one time. And though I always see her, she may be able to creep faster than I can turn. I have watched her sometimes away off in the open country, creeping as fast as a cloud shadow in a wind. If only that top pattern could be gotten off from the under one. I mean to try it little by little. I have found out another funny thing, but I shan't tell it this time. It does not do to trust people too much. There are only two more days to get this paper off, and I believe John is beginning to notice. I don't like the look in his eyes. And I heard him ask Jenny a lot of professional questions about me. She had a very good report to give. She said I slept a good deal in the daytime. John knows I don't sleep very well at night, for all I'm so quiet. He asked me all sorts of questions, too, and pretended to be very loving and kind, as if I couldn't see through him. Still, I don't wonder he acts so, sleeping under this paper for three months. It only interests me, but I'm sure John and Jenny are affected by it. Hurrah! This is the last day, but it is enough. John is to stay in town overnight and won't be out until this evening. Jenny wanted to sleep with me, the sly thing, but I told her I should undoubtedly rest better for a night all alone. That was clever, for really I wasn't alone a bit. As soon as it was moonlight, and that poor thing began to crawl and shake the pattern, I got up and ran to help her. I pulled and she shook. I shook and she pulled, and before morning we had peeled off yards of that paper, a strip about as high as my head and half around the room. And then when the sun came and that awful pattern began to laugh at me, I declared I would finish it today. We go away tomorrow, and they are moving all my furniture down again to leave things as they were before. Jenny looked at the wall in amazement but I told her merrily that I did it out of pure spite at the vicious thing. She laughed and said she wouldn't mind doing it herself, but I must not get tired. How she betrayed herself that time. But I am here, and no person touches this paper but me, 
not alive. She tried to get me out of the room. It was too patent. But I said it was so quiet and empty and clean now that I believed I would lie down again and sleep all I could, and not to wake me even for dinner, I would call when I woke. So now she is gone, and the servants are gone, and the things are gone, and there is nothing left but that great bedstead nailed down with the canvas mattress we found on it. We shall sleep downstairs tonight and take the boat home tomorrow. I quite enjoy the room, now it is bare again. How those children did tear about here! This bedstead is fairly gnawed. But I must get to work. I have locked the door and thrown the key down into the front path. I don't want to go out, and I don't want to have anybody come in, till John comes. I want to astonish him. I've got a rope up here that even Jenny did not find. If that woman does get out and tries to get away, I can tie her. But I forgot I could not reach far without anything to stand on. This bed will not move. I tried to lift and push it until I was lame. And then I got so angry, I bit off a little piece at one corner, but it hurt my teeth. Then I peeled off all the paper I could reach standing on the floor. It sticks horribly, and the pattern just enjoys it. All those strangled heads and bulbous eyes and waddling fungus growths just shriek with derision. I am getting angry enough to do something desperate. To jump out of the window would be admirable exercise, but the bars are too strong even to try. Besides, I wouldn't do it. Of course not. I know well enough that a step like that is improper and might be misconstrued. I don't like to look out of the windows even. There are so many of those creeping women, and they creep so fast. I wonder if they all come out of that wallpaper as I did. But I am securely fastened now by my well-hidden rope. You don't get me out in the road there. I suppose I shall have to get back behind the pattern when it comes night, and that is hard. It is so pleasant to be out in this great room and creep around as I please. I don't want to go outside. I won't even if Jenny asks me to. For outside you have to creep on the ground, and everything is green instead of yellow. But here I can creep smoothly on the floor, and my shoulder just fits in that long smooch around the wall so I cannot lose my way. Why, there's John at the door. It is no use, young man. You can't open it. How he does call and pound. Now he's crying to Jenny for an axe. It would be a shame to break down that beautiful door. John, dear, said I in the gentlest voice, the key is down by the front steps under a plantain leaf. That silenced him for a few moments. Then he said, very quietly indeed, Open the door, my darling. I can't, said I. The key is down by the front door under a plantain leaf. And then I said it again several times, very gently and slowly, and said it so often that he had to go and see. And he got it, of course, and came in. He stopped short by the door. What is the matter? he cried. For God's sake, what are you doing? I kept on creeping just the same, but I looked at him over my shoulder. I've got out at last, said I in spite of you and Jane, and I pulled off most of the paper so you can't put me back. Now why should that man have fainted? But he did, and right across my path by the wall, so that I had to creep over him every time. Now why should that man have fainted is one of my favorite lines in all of literature, 
It makes me laugh every time. That's one of Gilman's gifts. Even amidst all the chaos and madness, she can still find a place for humor. As I promised in Episode 1, this podcast's first mission is to entertain, so I'm not going to get into the academic weeds with it, but I do think it's important to touch on a few points as they relate to the writing. This short story has been classified as an example of gothic horror, a genre that also includes the novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, which predates it by 75 years. Curiously, they have a lot in common. Both works were a response to the author's personal experience of childbirth. They are what is known as a birth myth, which examines the trauma of afterbirth. The amount of material on the internet related to this story, which runs the gamut from personal and literary blogs to articles to scholarly analysis, is virtually endless. It might be fun, now that you've heard the story, to do some Google searches yourself, just to see what kind of things are out there. One of the things I was intrigued by is the metaphor of 19th century marriages being a kind of prison for women who enjoyed few rights and freedoms in those days. Gilman lived during the time of the suffragist movement and was an active participant in it. When this story was first published in 1892, you can imagine the kind of stir it created. While it was hard to pin down on the Internet exactly when the term postpartum depression was first used as a medical diagnosis, it's apparent that it was a 20th century development. The yellow wallpaper is clearly a reaction to the dismissive, if not demeaning, treatment postpartum depression was met with at the time of its writing. A reaction not just from society, but, as we learn from the story, even the medical profession. Those facts may give us insights into Gilman's time and the society she lived in, but what counts more than anything is the story that it produced. Gilman's young heroine's determination to free herself from her captors, both real and imagined, is the stuff of great literature. There have been a number of film adaptations of The Yellow Wallpaper. Some have remained true to the source material, and others have chosen to capitalize on the gothic horror aspects of the story. There is a masterpiece theater production from 1989 that I feel was the most successful at dramatizing the story, which can be found on YouTube. Well, we've come to the end of Episode 3. Thanks again for listening. And as I do in each episode, I'll leave you with a quote about the short story from the late, great André Debuse. I love short stories because I believe they are the way we live. They are what our friends tell us in their pain and joy, their passion and rage, their yearning and their cry against injustice.